0: If you found Joshua 23, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Joshua 23, let's go to the very end of the chapter. This is the speech, the final speech, the third one in, in chapter 23 of Joshua. There you find him in verse 14, 15, and 16. We'll just take three verses and just keep rotating them around to see what we can learn about God this morning. Grass with us and the flowers fade with the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin right there in verse 14. Listen to what Joshua says. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth and you know in your hearts and souls all of you that not one word has failed of the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you all have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. You shall perish quickly from the good land that he has given you. Let's ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of Jesus, your son, that we would hear what your word has to say. Speak to the hearts of your people. Call those that have wondered. Call them to a renewed faith. God, those that are dead in sin, awaken their hearts to believe, even this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When the end comes, when the end comes. The frivolous things in life tend to fade away. I've been in ministry about 30 years, and in my 30 years, I have seen a lot of people die. I've said goodbye to a lot of fine people in 30 years of doing ministry. And standing there at a bedside, I have never known a dying man to ever speak about politics or economics or football games. At the end. The approach of death has a way of clarifying our thoughts, has a way of, of putting into place those things putting our focus on those things that actually really matter. So what matters to you? In the text before us, the great man named Joshua, he's, bringing, he's breathing out truth to the people of God called Israel who have now conquered the land in Canaan. And he's hoping that what he says is going to last in their hearts. So in verse 14, and we find out he's dying. Verse 14, he tells us, I am about to go the way of all the earth. That is to say, I am going to die just like everybody else. We all have to die. And for Joshua in the Bible here, for Joshua, the dawn of his dying day is near and he knows it. So what does he do with an economy of language? Joshua doesn't talk about Jericho. Joshua doesn't take their minds back to crossing the Jordan. Joshua doesn't talk about conquering the land of Canaan. Joshua talks about God. Joshua takes our scattered vision and puts it right into a tunnel and near the end of his life he invites us to think about God. I don't think it's too much to ask for the next few moments. Let's you and I take this passage. And that's what I want to do is take this passage and turn your eyes to God. I want you to see God. I want you to love God. I want you to trust God. I want you to believe God. I want you to worship this, the living God. I don't want you to think about COVID or think about your hurt feelings Or think about Joe Biden, or think about a mask mandate, or a vaccine mandate, or your terrible job. I don't want you to think about any of that. Here on the Lord's Day, let's use this passage to get our hearts focused on God. Joshua, he invites us to be captivated by God, to behold God, to stand in awe of God. And by faith in Christ, give ourselves fully to God. There is a winnowing in the land. There is right now a separating the wheat from the chaff. And those people that withstand the sifting, are the men and women that find their full identity in Christ alone. That's what I'm asking you to do today. Let's put it all aside for a moment. Let's just put it all aside and let's think about God because when God is your all, all will be well. When God is your all, all will be well. Let's go to this passage and see what Joshua teaches us about God. And that's what I want, all I'm going to do today is talk about God because Joshua takes our eyes and puts it right there. And first thing I want you to see is that God is good. For you to learn about God, you've come to church today to worship God. Let me teach you something about this God that you worship. Number one, he is good. You'll find it there in Joshua chapter 23, verse 14. Joshua says, Since I am close to dying, there's something I want you to know about God. Verse 14, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. None of them have failed. Good things he promised. If you get down to verse 15, you'll find out there's not, Joshua says, not one of the good things that God promised. Down to verse, at the end of verse 15, God has given you good land. You go to verse 16, God has given you good land. It is the good gifts of God. It's an idea that stretches all the way back in the Bible and teaches us how it is that God deals with his people. Genesis 50 closes with Israel and his children in Egypt. Exodus opens with the people under bonded by Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 3, God comes and calls Moses at the burning bush and he promises Moses, I will bring the people into good land. Joshua and Caleb in Numbers 14, they go off and spy the land of Canaan. They come back and tell the people, what we see there is good land. At the end of Moses' life, at the end of Exodus when Moses is giving his farewell of speech ten times, Moses says, it's good. It's good. God is good. He has given us good land. Joshua picks it up and brings it through all of their struggles through the book of Joshua. He gets to the end of his life and he says, this God is good. Do you know that if you can just meditate, something we don't do very well because we have so many screens to look at, but if you can just meditate on the goodness of God for a little bit, the goodness of God is great motivation for obedience. The goodness of God is great motivation for worship. One of the reasons we worship like we do around here and sing the songs we sing is because of the goodness of God. The goodness of God, I mean, the Bible is filled with this whole redemptive theme, the goodness of God. It runs throughout the entire Bible, leading all the way up to the way that you and I are made into the sons and daughters of God. Through faith in the crucified and resurrected Jesus. I mean, isn't that what Paul teaches in Romans 5? That God has not given us this spirit of fear to fall back into slavery, but he has given us a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters of God by which we can cry out, Abba, Father. You know what Joshua is teaching us here? Joshua is teaching us that God really is good. Do you, look at me, I know what, I know what some of you have been through. Do you believe that God, do you trust that God is working all things together for your good. Maybe, maybe in the corner of your Bible or in the notebook that you have, that maybe it would be good for you just to write down a couple of things that God has done for you, the good things that God has done for you even this week. I, I will hope you'll see from this passage that God is good. I think there are other things to view from this passage that Joshua teaches us. Here's the second thing, number two. I want you to see that God's word is true. Not only is God good, God's word is true. Isn't that what Joshua says in verse 14? Let me read it to you. What does he say? Verse 14, I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed. Not one. Joshua here is giving us a promise that uh, should bolster our confidence, that should make us face Monday with new joy. What you're reading here ought to put steel into your spine. And you're going to need it in the days ahead. God has so remarkably and literally fulfilled all of his promises that there is not one big or small promise that any enemy can say God didn't fulfill what he said he would do. It's why we believe that when you know the Bible, that's when you know God. What does the Bible teach us about God? The Bible teaches about who he is. In the Bible, God teaches us who he is, that he is a holy creator. The Bible teaches us about our condition, that we were made in the image of God, and that image has been disfigured by our sin. The Bible teaches that problem is that God is holy, man is a sinner, not just off wandering far from God, but the way the Bible says it is that we were dead in sin. That is to say, we need a miracle. The Bible teaches that there is a path for reconciliation. That path is the one mediator, Jesus Christ, who lived perfectly, died on the cross in the place of sinners, God raising him from the dead, and the pathway, how are we saved, is through faith believing what Jesus has done. The Bible teaches us the dangers of sin. The Bible teaches us the joys of the gospel. That's why you want to go to a gospel preaching, you can hear, what does the gospel do? Joshua is teaching us that God is good and God's word is true, but there's a third thing to look at. I want you to notice in verse 14, just keep looking at it with me. There you'll see that God never fails. Something to remember, because sometimes we think God didn't come through, but God never fails. That seems to be the truth that Joshua is driving into the hearts of the people that are listening in verse 14. Notice what he says in verse 14. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, there's not one word that fails. We fail. You, you fail. We sin. We doubt. We mess up. We go astray. We don't understand. We misrepresent. Tell white lies. Get lazy. Get distracted. Come off course. Grow cold spiritually. Don't think much about God. But not God. You see, the ark, think about the sovereignty. The ark of his eternal will always bends toward completion. God's will. The ark of his will, it's always bending toward completing what he started. Isn't Isn't that how Paul encouraged the church at Philippi? What did he say? Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 Paul says, I am sure of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. What is he doing? God is molding. God is molding and shaping and fashioning. God is bending you. God is pruning you. As God heals you, as God, like the silversmith, burns off the dross in your life, as God, like the potter, shapes you the clay, as God, like the vine dresser, comes to you the vine and trims off those unnecessary but painful things to lose. Do you know what God is doing in your life right now through all of the circumstances in your life, whether they are painful or joyful? What God is doing is now making you into the image of Christ over time. And He never fails in what He's doing. God is is good. God's Word is true. God never fails. There's a fourth thing to notice. Look, I had had 10 of these at one point. Genuinely, I started whittling them down to 10. Nobody wants to hear a 10 point sermon, so I don't have 10. But I could add to it, because there's more. I just kept turning this over and said, what does the Bible say? What does Joshua teach? What do we find out about God? And by the way, when you're reading the Bible, those are good questions to ask just to yourself as you're reading it. You can say, what does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about myself? What does this tell me about sin? What does this tell me about creation? What does this tell me about how to live? When you're reading the Bible, it's a good thing just to ask questions. And the Bible will then speak when you start digging out. What is the truth there found in the Bible? Here's a fourth thing to consider. That is that God is personal. This is good to remember. Look how Joshua speaks of God right there in verse 14, verse 15, verse 16. Joshua says three times in three verses, he is the Lord your God. It's as if when he keeps repeating this, it's as if he is emphasizing the very personal nature and the eminence, you know the words eminence and transcendence, transcendence tells us the majesty of God, the, the awesomeness of who God is, the unapproachable part of who God is, he is transcendent above everything else. The, the eminence of God tells us the closeness that, that he's here. Two things we need to remember about, remember about God, he is other world, he is beyond us. He is also close. This, this, is what, this is what Joshua says to his people. He's the Lord, yes. He's your God. This is a God that is to be known and loved and, and, and worshiped personally. This is a good place to introduce um, or at least just briefly discuss the two different kinds of revelation. How do we know God? He reveals himself. One way is generally, is general revelation. General revelation tells us that we can look at the sky and the clouds and know that there is a creator. We can see the trees and the changing of the seasons. We see the temperature change. Um, uh, time change was not part of God's original plan, I don't think. But but the rest of it is, right? The general general revelation tells us that there is a God. You see around us in creation, there is something beyond our minds. That's general revelation. Specific revelation is something completely different. Specific revelation is God revealing himself in his word, and more specifically, God revealing himself in his word, taking us to the person and work of Jesus Christ to let you know that you actually can know God personally. Here is this is what makes Christianity Christianity. Anything less than this is not Christianity. It is a fake Christianity. Genuine Christianity is is an exclusive nature of the gospel. It's what Paul told Timothy in First Timothy chapter two, verse five. That there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men. That is the man, Christ Jesus. And that points us to the great promise. It points us to the great promise that Christ makes to his people. We all love the Great Commission, Matthew 28. We, we believe that's part of who we are. We want to be a Great Commission church that tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, But also, don't forget what Jesus said. I am with you. Even when you don't feel like it. Now, some of you understand the pangs of loneliness, and you need to hear the personal nature, this is the Lord, your God. That he's with you. Do you believe that? How, God's withness, how should that change your worry, the things that you're anxious over, or, 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 or how you live your life? Maybe you're doing things that you would be ashamed for people to know, and yet God is with you. And our God is personal. There's something else to notice in this text. You'll see it in verse 14 and 15. That is that God is consistent. God is consistent. I want to make this point pretty short But it's worth noting Moses dies, God remains. Joshua opens up. Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua is here, he's gonna live. Joshua dies, God remains. Joshua says right here in 23, verse 14, look, I am going the way of all the earth. I'm going to die just like everybody else. Every person is born, every person lives, and every person dies. Joshua's point is, look, don't put your faith in me. I'm going to die. I will die. God remains. You will die. I will die. People we love die. You don't die with them. God remains. God lives. He's, he's with you. God loves and God heals and God sustains. And and as long as you are able to draw breath, God's will for you is to live your life to his glory. Today rejoice in that, that he has you here, that he's consistent, that that all things change, all people will die, they're all like grass, and the grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of God stands forever. God is consistent. You see, when, when, when God is your all, all will be well. He's good. His word is true. God never fails. He is personal. He is consistent. I'll just keep pushing on this passage. Let's, let's go to another point. Number six. Number six is that God is just. God is just. Verse 15 and 16 there, you'll find it when you... Uh, this passage takes a pretty, pretty tough turn. Verse 14 starts out good, the good promises, the good land. Verse 15 and 16 turn into a warning. To, to remind us that God is not just good, he is also just. Let me read, let's read the whole warning in verse 15 and 16. I'll use these two verses for the last two points. Join me there. Joshua says, but just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you... ...have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things... ...until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you... ...and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. You shall perish quickly from off the good land... That he has given you. It's a warning. This is a warning that reminds the people of God. That reminds us. That any sin. Any sins against the holy God. Are tried in a heavenly court. And the sentence is always death. Any sin is going to be tried in a heavenly court. And the sentence for sin is always death what the Bible teaches. Verse 15, Joshua warns of a destruction. If you do this, if you do this, God will destroy you. This this should not alarm you. This should be something you see as consistent throughout the Bible. You can reach all the way back through Joshua, go through the Torah, get there to Genesis when God spoke to Adam and put him in a garden. And Adam was told, do not take of this tree in the day that you do it, you will surely die. This has always been the sentence, the punishment for sin. But this is a warning. I mean, just for those of you that have children, even if they're grown children, when you warn your child you are doing it, This warning is motivated by holiness and love. When you warn your child over something, you're doing that because you actually love that child. Don't don't touch the stove. Don't play in the street. Always wear your seatbelt. Don't hang around that person. Why do you do that? You do that as, as a warning because you want the best for her. You don't want her hand to get burnt. You don't want her to get hit by a car. You don't want her to be in a bad wreck and not survive. You don't want to be with that guy because you see the consequences. So Joshua says, here's the warning. If you do this, I mean, every one of these warnings in the Old Testament, just go back and read. Sometimes the Old Testament's hard to read because lots of time people are just slaughtered. and You wonder, how is there? justice, but every one of the warnings in the Old Testament Testament should press us to love the grace of the gospel even more. We should love the grace of God given to us at the gospel of, of Christ, at the cross of Jesus. There at the cross of Jesus, the justice of God is met in full and our stand in, our substitute, Jesus there on the cross, receives the full wrath of God. And when he takes your sin, when you become a Christian, you receive the full grace of God. Does does the justice of God make you run to the cross or does the justice of God just make you run? God is just. I'm going to give you one last point. And I'm going to break every homiletical, every preaching rule you can ever learn in seminary. You're supposed to come down and then end your sermon on something really positive. So here's my final note. God is angry. Angry. You'll hear people say, God is not mad at you. Uh, Those people have not actually read what the Bible says about God. I want to make this point at the risk of being misunderstood because I think this further intensifies our, our love and understanding of grace. When you realize in the Old Testament, and you see it right here in Joshua 23, verse 15 and 16, that the anger is not just with sin, like there is some disembodied sin, the anger is placed on sinners. You see it in verse 16? If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and you go and serve other gods, and you bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. You see, their greatest danger was not the Canaanites in that region. Their greatest danger was God. Theologically, think with me. When we are saved by the grace of God... The grace of God is saving us from the wrath and anger of God. The Bible says in Psalm 7 that God is a righteous judge and he fills indignation every single day. The jealous God described in verse 16 says that if you have another god, if you have an idol, if you have any of that, then the anger of God is actually kindled against you, not some impersonal sin. We'd like to say, well, that God uh, hates sin, loves sinners. That's, That's not a good way to say it because sinners are the ones sinning. And the anger falls not on an impersonal sin, but on us. And if you get a taste of that, It's what makes the grace of God so utterly unbelievable that God doesn't save people that are already his children that are far away from him. God saves his enemies. That's a miracle of the gospel. It's the very point that Paul makes in Romans chapter 5, verses 8, 9, and 10. Isn't that what he says? That God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, And since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from the wrath of God for while we were still enemies? That's who Jesus died for, his enemies. While we were still enemies, We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much more now shall we be reconciled and saved by his life? God is angry. But for those who are in Christ, here's the good news. For those who are in Christ, that anger is emptied completely on the cross of Jesus. And from that cataclysmic event, remember the the sky went dark Earthquake people got about the grave. From that cataclysmic event, for those who are in Christ, only love remains. Saving love, extravagant love, joy-giving love, forgiving love, healing love, strengthening love, all of that found in Christ. You see when, when God is your all. All will be well. Is he your all? And is it well with your soul? Will you bow with me in a mindset of prayer? With your heads bowed this morning, let me just ask a couple of questions. What what hurts? Take that right now to God. What wound are you carrying? What sin do you need to confess? What hardness do you need to reject? What what person do you need to be reconciled to? What heartache have you been nursing? This morning we're going to end our time with a song of worship. And as we do, I would just invite you, if you'd like to have a pastor pray with you, now's a good time to come forward. If you want someone to pray for you, if you want to talk to someone about what it means to give your life to Christ, now's a good time to do that. May the grace of God in Jesus make it so in your life that all will be well. Father, thank you for your word that is good. We pray now you're honored as we worship together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please. We sing together.